millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. My girlfriend, her father, and I were parked on the bank of the Chattahoochee River. My girlfriend's father was sitting on the hood of the car with his fishing pole in front of him. He was night catfishing. While we sat there with the car lights shining across the river, my girlfriend and I were sitting in the front seat, just making small talk. Honest when all of a sudden I heard the most horribly incredible scream coming from my right side. To set the scene, our car was parked about two feet from the water on the bank. Off to my right, about sixty feet was where the foliage began. Very swampy, very thick, and very hard to walk through. About forty feet further up the bank, which can't be seen from our car because of the foliage, 
is a huge oak tree. I'd have to guess that the tree had about a 15-foot circumference. Massive. About 10 feet up the tree is a huge branch that went about 20 feet out over the river. My friends and I would climb the tree and jump or dive into the river, at least once every couple of weeks or so. During one occasion, there were about nine of us standing on this branch attempting to make it move. We barely made it do anything, let alone shake. Anyway, back to the car. As I heard the scream, my body instantly went into what I think was shock. As I turned to my right slowly, with all my hair standing straight up, we heard the next sound. Pechu-chu. My feeble attempt to describe the sound of that huge branch I mentioned earlier that was shaking due to something gigantic jumping off it into the water. The splash that came next was equally as horrific. All we did was just sit there in shock, waiting I don't know why, staring at this point, straight ahead at the water. My guess is that we were waiting for the thing to float into our headlights. We waited and waited, and did in all of a sudden an object, black long. I would guess at least nine, ten feet floated into our headlights and stopped. Please keep in mind that this action was deliberate, because it was floating downstream. We stared at it forever, it seemed until it opened its eyes, two huge balls of red, reflecting off the headlights of our car, I imagine, light and looked at us. My girlfriend's father, at this point, put the car into reverse, and we sped off. Extremely terrified. 1982. My second encounter, April, my girlfriend and I were driving back from our senior prom, Georgia, Chattahoochee River border area. Our high school was 37 miles down River Way, out in the boondocks. Anyway, as we were driving back home, we came to a flat two-mile section of road that had a slippery when wet sign. Because we were tired, sober, with road hypnosis, the sign reflection caught our attention, she told me after. As we came closer to the sign, something moved or reflected as we came closer, getting our attention. About 100 feet away, with our car lights fully shining on the it, we saw this massive black creature leaning on the sign. The top of the sign, I guess, to be about 10 feet. Whatever this creature was, all we could see was the top of the chest and down, about 10 feet of the creature. We couldn't see the head. It just stood there. We could see the massive muscles, most in rippling detail, shiny black fur. Standing with intelligence, if you can understand that term, etc. We sped up all the while, screaming at each other, scared to death. A mile down the road, my left rear tire blew out. I drove seven miles to the first house with a light and called my father to come out and help us. While at this home, we talked with a few of the people that were there. They were having a party. We were told a couple of stories about a missing hunter. Animals found gutted or with their head missing. A lot of strange screams in the night, etc. First, I must say, beyond a shadow of any doubt, that this was no hoax. The costume alone would have cost thousands and thousands of dollars to create. Second, the people that live in the area are extremely poor. As a matter of fact, the home that we drove up to after our tire blew had light seeping through the cracks in the siding of the house while it sat on cinder blocks. Very poor people.
I'd been a park ranger for over a decade, and I had seen my fair share of strange occurrences in the woods. But nothing could have prepared me for what I encountered on that fateful day. I was patrolling the deep woods, as I often did, when I came across a family of hikers. They were clearly distressed, and I could see the fear in their eyes. They told me that they had been attacked by a creature with glowing eyes and razor-sharp claws. At first, I was skeptical, but as I looked at their injuries, I realized that something truly terrible had happened to them. I knew that I had to find this creature, whatever it was, and put an end to its reign of terror. I followed the hiker's trail, and soon enough I heard rustling in the bushes. I reached for my flashlight and pointed it in the direction of the sound. That's when I saw it. The creature was unlike anything I had ever seen before. It stood on two legs, with glowing eyes that seemed to pierce my soul. Its claws were razor sharp and its teeth were like needles. It let out a bone-chilling growl and charged towards me. I had never been so terrified in my life. I tried to back away, but the creature was too fast. It tackled me, and I felt its sharp claws tear through my flesh. I struggled to break free, but it was too strong. Finally, the creature released me and ran off into the woods. I was shaken, but I knew that I couldn't let it get away. I got up and ran after it, determined to catch it but the woods were dark and twisted, and I soon lost sight of the creature. I searched for hours, but it was nowhere to be found. Eventually, I had to give up and make my way back to the ranger station. As I sat there nursing my wounds, I realized that I had never encountered anything like this before. It was a creature unlike anything in our known world, and it was out there, somewhere, waiting for its next victim. As a park ranger, I've always loved exploring the wilderness, and I've seen some strange things over the years. But nothing could have prepared me for what I found deep in the heart of the park. It was a hot summer day, and I was on patrol, making my way through a dense thicket of trees when I stumbled upon a small town. It was unlike anything I had ever seen before, and at first I thought I had stumbled upon some sort of movie set. The buildings were small and rustic, made of weathered wood and surrounded by gardens filled with herbs and vegetables. The people who lived there were Native Americans, and they all seemed to be busy with their daily tasks. They stopped and looked at me as if they were surprised to see me there. As I approached, I was greeted by a man who introduced himself as the leader of the community. He explained that they had been living there for generations in harmony with nature and each other. They had no interest in the outside world and preferred to keep to themselves. I was fascinated by their way of life, and I spent the next few hours talking to the locals and learning about their customs and traditions. But as the sun began to set, they started to warn me about something I had never heard of before. The Wendigo. They told me that the Wendigo was a dangerous creature that roamed the deep woods, preying on anyone who was foolish enough to venture into its territory. They warned me to stay away from the woods at night and to always be on the lookout for any signs of the creature. I didn't believe them, of course. I had seen my fair share of dangerous animals in the park, but I had never heard of anything like the Wendigo. I thanked them for their hospitality and went on my way, convinced that they were just trying to scare me. As I made my way back to the ranger station, the sun had already set, 
and the woods were shrouded in darkness. I heard strange noises coming from the trees, and I could feel a sense of unease creeping up on me. It was as if the forest itself was alive and watching me. And then, out of nowhere, I saw it, a creature that was unlike anything I had ever seen before. It was tall and emaciated, with long, bony limbs and piercing red eyes. It stood there, watching me, before disappearing into the woods. I was terrified. I had never felt so alone and vulnerable in my life. I tried to run, but I quickly realized that I was hopelessly lost. The woods seemed to stretch out in all directions, and I had no idea which way to go. As the night wore on, the creature continued to haunt me, appearing and disappearing as if toying with me. I was cold, hungry, and scared out of my mind. And then, just as suddenly as it had started, it was over. The sun began to rise, and the creature was gone. When I finally made it back to the ranger station, I was a mess. I had never been so scared in my life, and I knew that I had come dangerously close to becoming the Wendigo's next victim. I tried to tell my colleagues what had happened, but they didn't believe me. They thought I was just tired and imagining things. But I knew what I had seen, and I knew that I would never forget the terror that I had experienced in those woods. From that day on, I made sure to listen to the warnings of the locals and to always be on the lookout for any signs of danger. Because in the deep woods of the park, you never know what might be lurking just beyond the trees. Yellowstone National Park is a breathtaking wonderland of geysers, hot springs, and majestic wildlife. As a park ranger named Jenna, I've spent countless hours patrolling its sprawling landscapes and marveling at its natural beauty. One night, while on my regular patrol, I saw something that left me shaken to my core. I caught sight of a creature unlike any other, with fur as black as the night and eyes that glowed like embers. It was a werewolf. The werewolf was massive, towering over me on two legs with sharp claws that glittered in the moonlight. I froze in terror as it locked eyes with me, a low growl rumbling deep in its chest. Despite my fear, I knew that I had to follow the creature to try and figure out what it was doing in the park. I trailed it through the wilderness, careful to keep my distance as it moved deeper into the forest. But as I tried to get closer, I stumbled and lost my footing, causing the werewolf to hear me and sprint away. I tried to follow, but soon lost sight of it in the darkness. When I reported the sighting to my supervisor, he dismissed it as a figment of my imagination. I was devastated that no one believed me despite knowing what I had seen. For weeks after the encounter, I felt like I was being watched, like the werewolf was still out there, lurking in the shadows. And even though I knew that it was unlikely, I couldn't shake the feeling that I wasn't alone in the wilderness. As the weeks went on, I found myself becoming more and more paranoid. Every rustle in the bushes, every howl in the distance sent shivers down my spine. I couldn't shake the feeling that the werewolf was still out there, waiting for its chance to strike. One night, while on patrol, I heard a faint howling in the distance. It was the same howling I had heard on the night of my encounter. I knew that I had to investigate. I followed the howling to a remote section of the park where I found a pack of wolves, but among them I caught sight of the werewolf once again. This time I was prepared. 
I had brought a camera with me to document the creature's existence, and I was able to capture a clear image of it. As I turned to leave, I fell and the camera broke. Wolves heard me, and they started running in my direction. I stand up and run to my truck. Once left, I just sighed and told myself that I'm not paid enough to witness this crap. As a park ranger at Mount Rainier National Park, I have spent countless hours exploring the vast expanse of forests, meadows, and glaciers that make up this majestic landscape. Towering over everything is the imposing Mount Rainier, its snow-capped peak visible for miles around. It is a place of great natural beauty, but also of danger and mystery. One night I received a call on my radio from a lost camper. He was disoriented and couldn't find his way back to his campsite. I set out to help him, my flashlight guiding me through the darkness. But as I got closer to his location, I began to feel a sense of unease. The woods were unnaturally quiet, and I couldn't shake the feeling that something was watching me. When I finally found the camper, he was sitting in a small clearing, his eyes fixed on something in the distance. I asked him what was wrong, but he didn't answer. I followed his gaze and saw a figure in the darkness, just beyond the tree line. It was tall and thin, with unnaturally long limbs and a distorted face. It moved with an unnatural grace, and I knew that this was no ordinary creature. I grabbed the camper and tried to run, but the creature was faster. It pursued us through the woods, its elongated fingers reaching out to grab us. We stumbled and fell, but somehow managed to stay one step ahead of it. Finally, we reached the safety of my ranger station, but the memory of that night still haunts me. I know that something sinister lurks in the woods of Mount Rainier National Park, and I fear that one day it will come for me again. In the spring of 2009, I was driving through central Wisconsin from Minneapolis to my home in northern Michigan on Highway 64, between Gilman and Medford. I had been seeing deer on the road since St. Croix, so I was driving slowly and on high alert. At the farthest reach of my eye beams, I saw something walking across the road. I slowed way down to about 30 miles per hour, and that's when I saw it. Now, here's the weird part. I saw the back of it as it was jumping over the steel barrier. It was bipedal, had legs that resembled a moose and ears like a dog, but no tail. It had to have been seven, eight feet tall. I think I almost swallowed my tongue. I came to a T in the road about a half hour later. Right at the T, there is a bar. It was open, and I needed a drink. Just a shot. I was driving after all. I must have had a wild look on my face because I just sat down at the end of the bar and asked for a shot of anything. When the bartender poured me a shot of J.D., he said, You just saw it, didn't you? I didn't say a word. I just looked at him. He said, This one is on the house. I drank the damn shot, put five dollars on the bar, and left. I never mentioned it to anyone else until now. So let me start my story by giving you a little background. I grew up and live in West Texas. There's not much in the way of forests here unless you count the massive groves of mesquite trees that are very easy to get lost. And 
Yes, I have, more than once. With that said, my story has nothing to do with even being near the woods or even outside of town. I grew up in a small town of less than 2,000 people, rural but still well-defined city limits, and the streets are pretty well lit at night, so neighborhood kids, my brother, and myself would often play until well past sundown. I should mention that my favorite game to play was Monster, which was basically freeze tag, except you got to pretend you were a monster. I always chose Goatman. I know. You're thinking that I'm going to see the Goatman whilst playing Monster and blah blah. Yeah, no. I only knew about the Goatman because my parents had some friends who lived out in Bumble of nowhere in the country, and it was a pretty Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Big deal to everyone who lived out there. It was mostly just the two spooky tales of drunk rednecks trying to scare my brother and myself, and we laughed at more than anything. Anyways, that's mostly a coincidence. As I stated before, everything I'm about to write about happened well within the city limits on a Sunday night in July. There was this guy named Kelly who lived in a really crappy single-wide trailer. Think like the FEMA trailers. But this was in the early 90s and was known for basically being the creepiest person in our neighborhood. He was tall with curly brown hair that stuck close to his head and he wore thick Buddy Holly looking glasses. Now there were numerous legends in our neighborhood about haunted houses and a hobo with a butcher knife, etc. But you could have written a book of short stories about the creepy stuff people had allegedly seen this guy do. People said that he dug around in the dumpsters at night and that people had seen him digging up worms in their alley, examining them, and then proceeding to eat them or put them in his pockets for later. A friend of mine's mom even said that one evening, as it got dark, she saw him walk out into the road where someone had run over a kitten and then put it down the front of his pants and walk back into his house. The fact that the adults were in on this legend made it the most realistic and scare of them all. Apparently, he once had an older brother named Bo, who was mentally handicapped and lived with Kelly, but I never saw him because everyone said that he just disappeared. He had an old green bike under the carport that supposedly never moved again. Now even at the age of five, I would like to think I was a bit rational, but I still spread rumors just like everyone else. I practically preached the one about the hobo with a butcher knife. However, I never talked about Kelly because I was legitimately scared of him. The reason why is that one night, when another boy and myself were playing alone, my brother was a bit older and was allowed to sleep over elsewhere, and had the back gate of our yard open and were transitioning back and forth between the backyard and the alley. At one point, my friend Alex made a grunting noise. He asked me why I'd made that noise, seeing as it had nothing to do with playing our game, and I sort of shrugged it off, thinking that he was just messing with me. 
Besides, I was eager to get back to playing, and it was pretty dim. We had only been playing for maybe 30 minutes or so, this way before we heard something make a loud metallic thud in the dumpster. We had just walked back into the backyard, and so we quickly ran to the gate and peeked out into the alley. Limping across the overgrown lot behind our house, we could see a figure moving. I immediately got what I now know is the uncanny valley feeling, even my five-year-old brain having trouble registering the jerky, claymation-like movements. Alex, on the other hand, thought he was hardcore or something because he shouted, Hey! in a very short, commanding tone. Hey! he yelled again. The figure spun around almost off balance and began walking back in the exact same jerking motion. Alex had a flashlight around his neck that his mom made him wear at night, and he twisted the lid to shine it at the figure. I still remember it fairly clear. It was definitely Kelly. He stopped when the light came on, and he was about 20 feet from us or so. His hands looked distorted and small, like normal at the biceps, but they began tapering and getting smaller after the elbow. They were drawn up close to his chest, almost like the way a chicken's wings hugged their body. He was wearing flannel shirt that looked several sizes too small, and the sleeves were rolled up just past his elbow. The shirt was unbuttoned, and you could clearly see multiple teats. His face looked the way it would if it was mashed up against a window, particularly his nose, which was without a doubt a pig snout with two large nostrils. We just stood there, frozen with our mouths open for what felt like ten minutes. It couldn't have been more than one. <sighs> yeah, Kelly half, Kelly half, whooped, half squealed. Alex and I took off, leaving the back gate open. I ran in my house, and he didn't stop, so I assume he kept running until he got to his. Needless to say, my parents thought I was being hyped up and panicking because we were playing in the dark alone. But guys, I swear to you, I swear to God that as I sat on the toilet that night before bed, the bathroom window faced the backyard. I heard sniffing at the window, loud sniffing and almost a HRM sound hidden behind the curtain. For the rest of our time in that house, one more year, I had anxiety every time I was in that bathroom at night. Kelly stayed more reclusive than usual after that, and nobody in our circle of friends believed us. The only other time I saw him again was one day when he was working on his roof. His trailer was two lots away or so, and I was in the alley taking out the cat litter box with my brother. He was standing on his roof, looking down at it as if thinking about what he should do when he visibly sniffed the air and glanced in our direction before hurrying down his ladder and going back inside. So I asked then, What is was he? He wasn't Native American as far as I know, pale with curly hair. But after learning about skinwalkers, what with the strange speech patterns and the fact that he was doing God knows what in our dumpster and waiting for us to go away so he could run and hide. What the hell was he? I may write some more about our neighborhood in that area since there were some really strange people. A close friend of mine, who I trust is telling the truth, recently shared a story with me. I'm a huge skeptic of anything supernatural, but I can't come up with a logical explanation for this one, and I'm wondering what you all make of it. A long while back, he was in a car crash. 
He was not inebriated at the time, and he was the only person in the car. After the crash, he was able to unbuckle the seatbelt and get himself out of the car. He immediately went to medical services to get checked out. They got ready to do an x-ray, and when he removed his shirt, he had two bruises in the clear shape of hands. One was on his left shoulder, the other on his right hip. The way they were positioned, it's as if someone grabbed him hard from behind and pulled him into the seat. The marks were so visible that the doctor examining him immediately asked if there was someone else in the car with him, because he was convinced they were made by someone grabbing him from behind. At the time, my friend was very religious and explained it as a religious miracle, saving him in that crash. Since then, he's been disillusioned from the church, but still cites this as one of his primary pieces of evidence that something supernatural could be out there. But he has an open mind. I got his permission to post this, and he's curious what you have to offer as a possible explanation. Any ideas? I never believed in ghosts or monsters until that night, the night we stumbled upon the abandoned ranger station deep in the woods. We were just a group of friends, looking for a weekend getaway in nature, but we never expected to find what we did. The ranger station was old, decrepit, and looked like it hadn't been used in years, but we were desperate for shelter, and we decided to spend the night there. As the sun went down, we started to feel uneasy. The station was eerily quiet, with only the sound of the wind rustling through the trees. And then we heard it, a low growling sound that seemed to come from all around us. At first, we thought it might be a bear or some other wild animal. But as the night wore on, we realized that something was hunting us, picking us off one by one. It started with one of us disappearing, and then another. We searched the station from top to bottom, but we found nothing. And then we saw it, a shadowy figure lurking in the darkness, its eyes glowing with an otherworldly light. We tried to leave, but something was blocking our path. We were trapped, with nowhere to run and no one to call for help. And as the night went on, we learned the horrifying truth. The ranger station was abandoned for a reason, and that reason was still there. We found old newspaper clippings that told the story of the ranger who used to live there. He was known for his love of nature and his dedication to protecting the forest. But something had changed him. Something had driven him to madness. And in the end, he had disappeared without a trace. As we read the articles, we started to hear footsteps coming from the hallway. And then we saw him, the ranger, or what was left of him. He was covered in matted fur, his eyes glowing with a sinister light. We tried to fight him off, but he was too strong. He had become something beyond human, something that couldn't be killed by conventional means. And as we fought for our lives, we realized that we had made a terrible mistake. We had come to the ranger station looking for adventure, but we had found something much darker, something that had been waiting for us, something that had been hungry for years. In the end, only a few of us made it out alive. We stumbled through the woods, battered and bruised, our hearts racing with fear. And as we looked back at the ranger station, we knew that we could never go back. The station was cursed, haunted by a horror beyond comprehension. And we were lucky to have survived. 
but we knew that we would never forget the night we stumbled upon the abandoned ranger station deep in the woods. I was born in 1968. I am the son of a miner, father and a miner. I am the father of two children. The incident happened to me in the mine where I worked a year or two before I retired. Everything started after an accident in the mine. That day I went to the workplace as usual. In the morning, after having breakfast in the canteen of the workplace, I got into the cage to go 260 meters underground. When I say cage, I mean an elevator. We mine workers preferred to call it a cage instead of an elevator because it was a simple device that worked with a large crane rather than an elevator. Anyway, I went down to the mine. After working until the end of the shift, I started walking towards the bottom of the shaft. We call the place where we got into the cage the bottom of the shaft. As I was walking slowly, an engine passed by me quickly. What I call an engine can be considered as a small train. It was a relatively simple device compared to the train, pulling only wagons weighing up to one ton at most. There were workers in the engine. Normally they are forbidden to do this, but sometimes when the workers are very tired after work, they ride on the engine to avoid walking. I continued to walk slowly as the engine sped past me. Then there was shouting coming from up ahead. Someone seemed to be moaning in a wheezing voice. I moved towards the direction of the sound in order to understand exactly what was happening. I started to look around carefully. When I approached the place where the sound came from, I saw that someone was lying in the water channel on the side of the air door. Blood was flowing from the person lying in the water channel as if from a fosse. At that moment I went into a short-term shock. In that chaos we immediately carried the injured person to the lift entrance which we call the bottom of the shaft and sent him to the hospital. I still could not get over the shock of that image. That day that person who was injured in that accident died. This incident affected me deeply. My psychology turned upside down. According to what I learned later the accident happened as follows. While the workers were traveling with the engine the air door did not open. Since the engine was also fast, the engine hit the door with great violence. The worker who was caught between the engine and the door was crushed badly during this impact. In the days following this incident, when I passed through that gate, it always seemed to me as if someone was still lying in the water channel. I couldn't pass through there by myself. Since the hearth was not sufficiently lit, it was always very dark inside the hearth. It was only illuminated by fluorescent lamps, which were very sparsely placed in certain parts of the hearth. Because of the effect of this incident, I was completely disenchanted with work. I didn't feel like going to work at all, but I had to. Anyway, one day when I was at work again, I was the last one left at the end of work in the area of the mine where I was working. When I looked around, everyone had left. I sat down somewhere. Such a weight fell on me that it seemed like a lifetime to go from there to the lift area, which the workers called the bottom of the shaft. I said to myself, I'll rest a little where I'm sitting, and then I'll go. My eyes closed for a while. I was between sleep and wakefulness. I saw a man approaching me from ahead, holding a lamp in his hand. There is no work left at the stove at this hour. I guess he stayed later like me, I said to myself.
That light that was approaching me suddenly disappeared. Oh my God, where did this man go? I said to myself. Then I thought, let me sit for one or two more minutes. Maybe the man who just disappeared will come back and we can go to the lift together. Then my eyes closed again. I don't know how much time passed. Suddenly I woke up with a very severe slap. But what a slap. I thought my neck was broken. I immediately recovered and looked around me. There was no one. It was impossible for someone to hit me and run away. For this reason, I started running towards the lift in fear and panic. That day, I didn't tell anyone about what had happened. One or two weeks later, I was the last one again. This time, I hurried up and went straight to the lift entrance. As I sat down and waited for the lift to arrive, I noticed that something jet black was coming towards me. It had a hand lamp and a hard hat, but neither of them was lit. It was slowly approaching me. I called out from afar, Master. What's wrong? Did the lamp malfunction? He didn't answer. Instead, it kept coming towards me slowly. I felt a strong sense of fear that I didn't know why. I wanted to get up and leave. I even wanted to run away, but I was paralyzed. I couldn't move. Although he was very close to me, I couldn't see his face or body clearly. It was as if the man coming towards me was not a tangible substance, but a shadow, a silhouette. Don't ever sleep on the hearth again he said to me. I could feel the man's speech, not in my ears, but in my brain. He spoke to me almost telepathically and disappeared. I had heard of such events from a few other people before, but I didn't believe it. At that moment, those stories I had heard went through my mind. I read all the prayers I knew. That black silhouette had not harmed me, but living that moment had further disrupted my already broken psychology. I couldn't get up from where I was sitting for another one. Two minutes. After a while, I pulled myself together and walked away from there. When I told my friends what had happened to me, they did not believe me. When I told what happened to me to the imam of the village where I lived, the imam believed me and said the following, They are the owners of the mines. As you know, according to Islamic belief, the souls of martyrs can choose to stay in this world instead of going to the hereafter if they wish. According to a saying of the Islamic prophet Muhammad, those who die into the rubble are considered martyrs, just like those who die in war. That's why we call people who died in the mines mine martyrs. Most probably that thing you saw in the mine was the spirit of a mine martyr, and it warned you. He wanted to protect you. After that day, I never slept in the mine again. About the story, hello, I'm a journalist living in Turkey investigating the paranormal is my special interest. The story you've just read is a true story that was shared with me by one of my readers on condition of anonymity.